Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. Um, the audio recordings for... T so, um, learning from our actions, reflecting. This is... Uh, this is where all everything that we've done today really starts to come together, and uh, provides the the possibility of a lot of freedom in relation to uh, our life. So this is a willingness to learn, a willingness to reflect which is different from beating ourselves up or judging ourselves. It's a genuine interest in learning, saying, well, what can I learn from this? What can I do differently next time? How did this go? And that involves staying the course. It involves actually paying attention to the results of our actions. Oftentimes we'll put a lot of attention into making a choice or a decision but then we don't actually follow up on the other side and say, okay, how did that go? Right? So how are we supposed to develop any sense of an internal compass if we're not tracking the results of our actions? If we're not saying, okay, I thought about this, I investigated, I decided to follow this particular feeling or that particular intention, and here's how I feel, and here's, here's how it's ended up. How do we develop a sense of trust with ourselves? Or, or, or actually get the feedback if we're not willing to, to learn and reflect. So one of the um, uh, key teachings in the Buddhist texts on this is uh, I referred to earlier today is the Buddha's teaching to his son Rahula where he tells him this, these three guides for action, for my own welfare, for the welfare of others, and leading to peace. So the, the teaching he gives his son here is he says, he says to his son, what is a mirror for? And his son says, for reflecting, you know, for looking at oneself and reflection. He says, that's right. He says, and, and so it is with our actions of body, speech, or mind. Our actions are for reflection, for looking at oneself. And how should one reflect on one's actions? Before you, before you choose an action, during an action, so this is going to the point that, um, that this woman made earlier about being willing to course correct or change decisions midstream, before an action, during an action, and after your action, reflect. Is this for my own welfare and for the welfare of others, and does this lead to peace? So there's that sense of the whole arc of a decision being a process of learning and reflection. So some of the key qualities here, again, are honesty, really being willing to be honest with ourselves, compassion, so being gentle with ourselves, and equanimity. And this is mostly what I want to talk about here is this quality of equanimity, which is a kind of balance in the mind that comes from wisdom, that comes from understanding things clearly. It means that we have perspective. Equanimity means we see things clearly, we can hold the bigger picture. 
some of the obstacles to this step of reflection? Self-judgment. Reactivity. Beating ourselves up. Or certain uh, cultural myths about being perfect or needing to get it right or having to do it all ourselves. So equanimity is uh, often described as the, the wisdom of, a, of, an eld- of an elder, someone who's seen it all. They've been through the ups and the downs of life, and they have a really wide view. They're not rocked by things because they've lived through so much. And it's based upon it. It's based upon a fundamental insight into the nature of things, the way things work, which is that things change. That life is a, a flow of constant change. Seasons change. People change. We change. Things change. That's that's the nature of things. And that within that, a lot isn't up to us. That, that life is this vast kind of network of different conditions. It's this huge fabric of everything affecting everything else, every moment. So how much is up to us in terms of the way things fall out, how things end up? It's not that we don't care about how, what happens. It's not that we don't care about the results of our actions or the outcome of our decisions, but equanimity gives is, is the wisdom to recognize it's not up to me how this goes because there are too many other factors. There are too many other conditions that are outside of our control. One of the great myths of decisions and choices in life is that we can ever know. That we can never really know how things are going to go. That we can ever really know what the right choice is, in quotes. So making decisions brings us face to face with the reality of not knowing. We can't know the future, right? We can know our intentions. We can know what our needs are. We can do our best to line things up. But at a certain point, it's out of our hands, So we're always faced with the fact that our knowledge is limited. We can't know everything. We don't have control over all the variables. There are too many. And there are always unanticipated effects and consequences. There's always something else that we couldn't anticipate. So when we don't have this understanding of, of wisdom and when we don't have this equanimity, this wide perspective and balance in relation to choices and decisions, when things don't go the way we would like or anticipated, they go wrong. Things going wrong means we don't have wisdom. There's no such thing. There's only conditions changing and unfolding. And then it becomes it's my fault it should have been, if only. Those are all signals that, we, that we've lost wisdom. We're not seeing clearly. We don't have equanimity. We're not in balance. We've lost touch with the reality that things change, and it's not up to us. There are too many factors. 
I made the wrong choice. I should have known better. If only I would have done this. Really? If you would have, if you could have done it differently, you would have, <laughs> right? So equanimity gives us this perspective that we're not in control of the outcome. There's an amazing story about um, Thich Nhat Hanh, many of you probably know of as Vietnamese um, Buddhist monk, uh, uh, peace activist and poet and author. He worked for many years in Vietnam uh, before and during the Vietnam War uh, as a, in the movement of nonviolent resistance. And in the end, um, had to leave Vietnam. The, you know, the movement was, was not successful and uh, North and South Vietnam was split and he was forced into exile. And this is, uh, this is what he said. The conditions for success in terms of a political victory were not present for the Buddhist movement in Vietnam. The conditions for success in terms of a political victory were not present for the Buddhist movement in Vietnam. That's wisdom. That's equanimity. He recognizes the results are outside of my control. The conditions weren't there. And then he, he went on to say, the success of a nonviolent struggle can be measured only in terms of the love and the nonviolence attained, not whether a political victory is achieved. And so that starts to point to some of the freedom that comes from the understanding of equanimity, that what we can rely on is, our, is the clarity of our own intentions and the skillfulness and the effort of our action, and that the rest is, is really not up to us. I'll talk more about this. One of the teachings that helps us to develop this quality of equanimity is um, the understanding that life is a series of um, uh, changing uh, circumstances in four different ways. That there are four pairs of circumstances that are always changing for all of us in life. And so just listen as I name them if you haven't heard this teaching before and see if this is true for you in your own life, that these circumstances just come and go and change. Pleasure and pain. Gain and loss. Fame and disrepute, or you know, being spoken well of and uh, you know being liked, being disliked. Fame and disrepute, praise and blame. So that's what we get, all of us. Just these changing conditions. We tend to take it really personally. So this is from the Buddha. They blame those who remain silent. They blame those who speak a lot. They blame those who speak in moderation. There's no one in the world who is free from blame. And there's a story that goes, that goes with that, just of someone coming to the monastery and different monks giving different answers. And basically whatever they did, he blamed them. And they, they came to the Buddha and said, hey, what's the deal? We tried this, we tried that. And that's what he said. He said, you know, like, it doesn't matter what you do. Someone's going to blame you. That's the way it is. Gain and loss. Pleasure and pain, praise and blame. Sometimes you do something and you get both. Some people praise you, some people blame you. Same action, right? These conditions, they just change. So how driven are we by them? How obsessed are we 
with trying to only have one and not the other? And how much is it actually up to us? When we start to understand the nature of these, that they just come and go, that it's just like the in-breath and the out-breath. You can't have one without the other. Only wanting the pleasure and the gain and the praise is like only wanting to breathe in and never breathe out. Right? It's just not possible. How much do we let these changing conditions define who we are, our sense of value or self-worth? How much do we end up feeling despair over something that's not in our control? People kill themselves. People kill themselves over the, the perception of failure. Not understanding. It's not up to us. And even that's a construct. I'll talk about that in a little bit. So as we, uh, as we look at the sense of reflection, it's very important to have wisdom. Otherwise, we end up beating ourselves up or judging ourselves, or blowing things out of proportion, or trying to um, assume responsibility where it's actually out of our control. There are things that we're responsible for, and then there's things that are beyond our control. And recognizing the difference, understanding that. Understanding our own negativity bias. There's a story of a monk uh, in New Zealand. He tells about um, laying a brick wall and uh, taking a lot of care and time and patience with it. And then afterwards, it's all done, stepping back and looking at it, and there's one brick that's crooked. And, you know, just focusing on that one brick that's like ruining the wall because it's crooked. And then, you know, another uh, more senior monk coming up to him and talking about it and saying, ah, yeah, but do you see the 99 other bricks that are laid perfectly? Right? What do we focus on, right? We only, sometimes we only see the one thing that didn't go the way we wanted it to and we lose sight of everything else. Our vision gets very narrow. So it's important to keep our view wide and broad when we come to this stage of reflecting on our actions and the results. It's also important to keep in mind that there's a difference often between the short-term, the immediate results, and the long-term results. The immediate re- results, we don't have much control over often, for all the reasons I've been, I've been s- stating. But we can take a longer view with things and recognize that, you know, our decisions are planting seeds and we never know the effect of our, of our choices and our actions. So one of, the, one of the main pitfalls in this whole area we've been exploring today, one of the main obstacles is... Um, believing that our actions don't have effects. Remember where we started with the teachings on karma. If you throw a, a stone in a pond, there's going to be a ripple. So the voice inside that says, that eh, doesn't matter. That's delusion. It does matter. Our actions have effects on ourselves and others. So, and we can't know the long-term effects of our actions. We're, we, so we can view our choices, our decisions as planting seeds in our own mind and in the world. So when we, when we bring wholesome qualities, helpful qualities to bear on our decisions, patience, kindness, care, integrity, compassion, 
consideration, wisdom, we're strengthening those seeds in our mind. Regardless of the immediate result, we're strengthening those qualities. And we also don't know the effect of our actions on others more long-term. See if I have time to tell this story. Um, Probably not. Okay, I mentioned it. Now I have to tell it. Um, I give the abbreviated version. You know who Daniel Ellsberg is? The person who uh, released the Pentagon Papers and broke the the news of the sort of secret story behind the Vietnam War. So um, he had read Jack Kerouac's book, The Dharma Bums. And in that book, Jack Kerouac talks about Gary Snyder, the character's name is Jaffe Ryder in the book, uh, being at this monastery in Japan. Uh, and so Daniel Ellsberg, when he was working for this other company, he was in Japan on business and had the opportunity to go to Kyoto. And since he had read the book, he went to visit this temple. And Gary Snyder happened to be living there at the time, and he met him. Um, and so they went out for drinks in a bar and had a long conversation and you know, talked about things. Nine years later, when Daniel Ellsberg was um, making the decision whether or not to release the Pentagon Papers, uh, he said that that encounter with Gary Snyder and the conversation that they had played a really big role in his deciding to actually release the papers. So we never know the effect of our actions, the result that it might have in the in the future. This becomes particularly important when you start looking at, you know, uh, social movements and movements of, of change, you know, looking at like the Berlin Wall falling or apartheid ending. It's like we, we, we don't, we can't anticipate the results of individual actions. So I have to have a longer view, a wider view of things. One of the key principles here that comes out of this understanding of wisdom and this um, quality of equanimity um, is a non-attachment to the results non-attachment to the outcome. doesn't mean we don't care about the outcome. It just means that we recognize it's outside of our control. So uh, my colleague, Donald Rothberg, uh, who I'm teaching the retreat with this summer, uh, gave a wonderful talk recently. It's on Dharma Seed. The title is um, Com- Full Commitment to Action, Non-Attachment to Results. And he explores this, this teaching and this principle in depth, tells a lot of stories about it. If you just go to his name, Donald Rothberg, and, and it's one of the most recent talks of his in Santa Fe. Um, but it's that understanding that we do our best. You know, we show up. Like someone was saying, you were saying, you know, if you want to, you, you show up. That's so much of life is showing up. So we, it's our full commitment to doing something, and then we let go. You know, we let the chips fall where they may, as the saying goes. And there's a very important shift that comes from this. The shift that instead of building our sense of well-being or success or self-worth on an outcome that's outside of our control, those factors actually come in. It's seated in ourself. Our sense of well-being or success um, instead is located in the quality of our action. The, the, the sincerity of our intention and the quality of our action. 
And that can lead to great resilience because we're not resting on things going a certain way. One person put it this way. He said, you know, if our goal is to learn, then we'll always succeed. So being really deeply committed to learning, to understanding, then the outcome isn't as important because we can always learn. read a quote on this. So this is from Vandana Shiva. And this is a quote that Donald used in that talk. She's an uh, environmental activist uh, from India who's trained as a physicist. Very, very inspiring. If you don't know of her, I encourage you to... Uh, look her up and read a little bit about her. Well, someone interviewing her asked her, you know, how, how do you have so much energy? You seem so alive whenever I see you or speak to you. She said, well, it's a mystery because, you know, you don't know why you get depleted or recharged, but this much I know. I don't allow myself to become overcome by hopelessness, no matter how tough the situation. I believe that if you just do your little bit without thinking of the bigness of what you stand against, if you turn to the enlargement of your own capacities, just that in itself creates new potential. I've learned from the Bhagavad Gita and other teachings of our culture to detach myself from the results of what I do because these are not in my hands. The context is not in your control, but your commitment is yours to make. And you can make the deepest commitment with a total detachment about where it will take you. You may want it to lead to a better world, and you shape your actions and take full responsibility for them, but then you have detachment. And that combination of deep detachment and, sorry, that combination of deep passion and deep detachment allows me always to take on the next challenge because I don't cripple myself. I don't tie myself in knots. I function like a free being. I think getting that freedom is a social duty. We owe it to each other to not burden each other with prescriptions and demands. We owe each other a celebration of life to replace fear and hopelessness with fearlessness and joy. Powerful, huh? So that's, this is, that's the vision of this potential of being fully committed, really engaging, doing our best, and letting go, because it's not up to us. Vandana Shiva. When we let go of the outcome and stay committed to, the, to learning, it allows us to relax more, to really enjoy the journey and trust the goodness of our intentions and the integrity of the process, rather than pinning everything on some result that's really out of our hands in the end. Sounds good, huh? So there's actually a practice for this in the Buddhist tradition. It's called equanimity practice. How many people here have done equanimity practice specifically? So a few of you. So this is a, a, a practice in a, a set of practices called the Brahma Viharas, which translates to something like the divine, um, the divine abidings or our sort of highest home, our best home in our heart. And there are these four qualities of kindness, compassion, Joy, specifically joy and the joy of others, and equanimity, this balance that we've been talking about in the face 
of changing circumstances and things not being in our control. And the way this, is, this practice is done is through a reflection, through taking a phrase that represents this understanding, it, uh, using a phrase that encapsulates this intuitive knowledge that we all have that life is a series of changing events that isn't up to us and reminding ourselves of it and aiming our mind in that direction in relation to a certain situation. So it's taking a situation and reminding ourselves, it's not up to me. That could be, that could be one of the phrases. So I'll introduce some of these phrases to you, and then we'll do this practice for a little bit, just so that you can explore it. So there are many, um, many versions of, of these phrases. I've written a few up on the board. Um, the most traditional one is actually an expression of karma, which is um, all beings are the owners of their actions. Their happiness or their unhappiness depends upon uh, their actions. Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll put these in the handout. You don't need to, yeah. All beings are the owners of their actions and inherit its results. This is where we started from, that what we choose and intend is going to have an effect on our own mind. Their future is born from such actions. Its, its results will be their home. So how do we make sense of this? So there's, there are two different kinds of phrases up here, depending on what kind of situation you're, you're um, practicing equanimity with. The first, set, the first kinds of phrases are about in relation to someone else. So oftentimes we, we need more equanimity in relation to people in our lives who we would, like to, we would like them to be acting differently or making different choices, and we recognize that it's not up to us. We still care about them, but we can't control them. So that's the first set of phrases, and these are things like, I want you to be happy, but I can't make your choices for you. Do you see the wisdom in that? The engagement and the letting go. I care for you, but I can't keep you from suffering. All beings have their own path. I have my path, you have your path, and I care. So this recognition of the limits of our control and still staying engaged and connected, there's still caring present. The the one of the distortions of equanimity is indifference. It's this cold, distant indifference. Well, it's all changing anyway, so it's not up to me. That's not equanimity. That's kind of an avoidance. Equanimity is right there with what's happening. Like that quote from Vandana Shiva, she's right there, fully engaged, really caring, passionate, but unattached, recognizing the results aren't up to us. So these are some phrases in relation to someone else. Oftentimes in the context of decisions that we're making, it's not about a person, it's more about a situation. And so the next set of phrases are about that. So it's like this now. Things are just the way they are. Right? We make a choice, we do our best. It doesn't have the desired outcome. This is how it is. It's like this now. This is the way things are. It's not up to us. Finding, trying to find that balance of acceptance without shutting off or shutting down. This is one of my favorites. It could not have been otherwise. 
it could not have been otherwise. Right? There's that sense of the, the belief that we could somehow control things or that we can go back and edit the universe and make it different. It could not have been otherwise. Remember what Thich Nhat Hanh said, the conditions for a political victory for the Buddhist movement in Vietnam were not present. That's this understanding. It could not have been otherwise. The conditions weren't in place. Is the understanding that results, the way things go, is due to more than just my wishes and my actions. There are too many other variables. It's just the way it is. And that doesn't mean we don't act. It doesn't mean we don't engage. It doesn't mean we don't try our best. It just means we recognize the results outside of our hands. And then the, the last is just a few different flavors. May I be at peace with things as they are. May I be at peace with the coming and going of events. May I be at peace with the changing nature of things. So each of these phrases, I hope you can see, it's trying to encapsulate this understanding that I've been talking about, this wisdom, this perspective. Remember that image of the, the elder who's seen it all, who's been there. Nothing phases them. They still care but they don't get thrown around by circumstances. So we're reminding ourselves of that, calling to mind a situation or a person, and then we, we, we repeat the phrase in just a slow, steady way. It's like this now. Things are just as they are. And then the mind rebels. No, it should have been otherwise. They should have done this. It's what's wrong with them. Deep breath, yes, and it's like this now. Things are just as they are. And we just listen, and we keep trying to keep coming back to that place of balance and perspective. You want to try this? Any questions about the, the practice or the instructions or this, uh, this orientation I've been talking about of equanimity? I know I've said a lot. Okay, so this will be our last um, last activity, our last kind of guided practice for the day. So one more instruction that's very important. When we practice these um, qualities of kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, these Brahma Viharas, we start where it's easy, not where it's hard. Why? What happens if you don't know how to swim and you jump in the ocean on a stormy day? That's right, you go down. So we're trying to learn something. So you want to start where it's easy. Start where you can actually get some traction and not injure yourself or get overwhelmed or flooded. So if there's something in your life that's difficult that you're mulling over, don't go there with this first. Choose something easier. We talked before. <laughs> we've, we've all got something somewhere. So choose something, you know, that's not too hard. So the, the instruction, if you're doing it for another person, the instruction here is to actually start with someone who's uh, not that close to you, more of like a neutral person or a stranger in your life, where it's relatively easy to have that sense of spacious balance and perspective because you're not all tied up in their stuff, right? Or if you're dealing with a situation that didn't go the way you wanted it to, 
choose something that's like, you know, not super hard. Like all day long you've been wishing you were downstairs with Philip Moffat. <laughs> you know? Well, oh, God, okay. I'm here. I signed up for this, so. Too late to change. There's a work with that. Choose something that's not too hard so that you can really start to find that place of balance and get a feel for equanimity. And then over time, we can apply it to other situations that are more challenging. Okay. You know how to start. We've done this enough times. Finding your seat, finding your posture. Inviting the mind and the heart and the body to settle. Just using the sensations of sitting and breathing as an anchor. image of a stone sinking through clear water, letting gravity calm and settle the mind and the body, feeling the breath, feeling the contact with the chair or your hands. you're ready in your own time there's no rush and calling to mind a situation that you'd like to practice equanimity with it could be a person or just a situation in your life Trying to get a sense of it, letting it become clear in some way in your mind's eye or your heart. Then we invite this, this wisdom perspective, this understanding of everything changing. Every moment, this confluence of conditions and causes, variables we can't control. And encapsulating that understanding in a phrase. So I'll read them again and just listen, and then choose one that feels authentic for you, or you can make up your own based on them. I want you to be happy but I can't make your choices for you. 
care for you, but I can't keep you from suffering. All beings have their own path. You have your path, I have my path, and I care about you. We hold the image of the situation or the person in mind, and then just very patiently saying the phrase, reminding ourselves of this perspective, this balance. If it's more of a situation that you're working with, it's like this now. Things are just as they are. could not have been otherwise. May I be at peace with the changing nature of things. Silent, patient, steady repetition of a phrase or two, reminding yourself of this orientation. You might find yourself shutting off, getting indifferent. The practice is to just notice that and then try to come back to center. Try to come back to this balance of being engaged, yet balanced, having a wide perspective, understanding the limits of our control. You may feel the resistance, the wishing it were otherwise. That's part of the practice. So you just notice that, feel it in your body. This is what that feels like. 
and then see if you can come back to center. Yes, I, I do wish it were otherwise, and this is the way it is. Things are just the way they are. When you're ready, allowing that to dissolve and fade into the background. Just feeling your body sitting, hearing the sound of my voice. So this is just a little taste of practicing with this orientation of wisdom and letting go. Very, very important quality for uh, having a sense of peace in life and also a sense of resilience. We don't get knocked around as much when we have this perspective. When those worldly winds of gain and loss and pleasure and pain and praise and blame and fame and disrepute come our way, we don't get spun around by them. Up, excited when, when it's on the upswing and devastated when it's on the downswing because we have this perspective. Oh, yeah, these are the way things are. They change. They come and go. It's like this one day, then it's like that the next day. It brings great resilience. And it also brings a lot of freedom to our process of making decisions in life. When we have this broader perspective that, you know, we, we show up, we put, we put our attention in the intention and the execution and we let go of the immediate results because we see it's outside of our control. And when the equanimity is present in the reflection, Everything else, the whole process becomes a lot more uh, enjoyable. It's joyful and fun because it's an exploration. Because whatever happens, we're going to be okay. Because we're just learning. 
doesn't need to go one way or another. All of the stress and the strife and the struggle and this process comes from a lack of equanimity, from not trusting that, you know, from wanting to control this that's actually not in our control. When, we, when we're able to let go of that through wisdom, all of this just becomes okay. We just show up and do our best and investigate and listen and choose, do our best, and continue learning. So we have a few more minutes if there are any uh, uh, questions or last comments, and then we'll, and then we'll close for the day. Yeah, please. Um, my question has to do with accountability uh-huh. in this process. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, even with good intentions, yes. the negative impact. Yes. And, you know, the, the yeah. defensiveness of I didn't intend to do that right. devalues the impact. Right. And so yeah. I just wanted to hear you tie that into this. Thank you. Yeah, very important. Um, equanimity, the understanding of equanimity this is this is where the nuance in that understanding comes in where it's we recognize that our actions do have effects right and it actually gives us more space to really receive the impact of our actions because we understand that the defensiveness comes up when we think it's our fault when we when we don't when we don't actually understand you know i did the best i could and this still happened and we can have great feelings about that. If I do or say something that's harmful for you, I don't like that. I will feel sad about that. You know, my heart will be heavy. And I can respond to that. And I can actually be here in that moment with you and go, I'm so sorry. That's awful, you know? But it doesn't mean that I beat myself up about it. I might reflect. I might go back later and think about, gee, did I miss a beat in my execution? Was there something I could have actually done differently? Can I learn from this? You know, there's accountability there. But the defensiveness often comes because we actually, we're blaming ourselves or we're hearing that, we're hearing that as blame and it's my fault rather than recognizing these are all the conditions. So this is, in no way does this mean that we're not accountable for our actions or that we um, can't respond authentically to the effects of our actions. It just means that we understand that there's a lot of different factors. Is that great? Other comments or questions? Remember, you don't have to leave here with everything. We've covered a lot of ground today. I offered you a lot of different tools and practices and ideas. So maybe in closing, what I'd like to do is just invite you to just just consider, you know, what's one or two things you want to take away from today and practice with if it's not already clear to you? Like, what's one gem that you're leaving with? Either a practice or an insight or a perspective
I'd love to hear some of these if anyone's willing to share. And no, I, I, I wasn't waiting. I was. Um, uh, keep in mind also that what what you share now might be someone else's thing that they take away. So, um, I really like this practice of like sitting with the two options and seeing how it feels because I tend to logically mm. work things out frequently. And and I also like this idea of doing it sort of like iteratively over time Great. to see if there's a consistent pattern or you know. Yeah. It changes a lot. So. Thank you. Other takeaways? Um, Thank you. Being okay with not knowing instead of setting a deadline. Um, the idea of the reflection kind of linking into the next beginning of the next decision process. Great. Resource mapping, great. Mm, mm-hmm. What makes you come alive? That question. Mm. Can we use the mic? That's okay. You got to be quick too. As soon as I start Sorry. talking, go over them. Um, I really appreciated your teachings on equanimity and uh, your languaging, calling the wide view. Mm. I haven't heard that languaging before, and it really resonated. Great. Great. I really enjoyed the spaciousness in terms of choices or making decisions, mm. and so that spaciousness allows. You know, for the whole process to grow mm. and emp- empowerment mm. in choices and decisions. Great. I just like the notion of being able to try things on and the emphasis on exploration, especially. Great. And often do get stuck there, but just kind of being able to sit with that yeah. and have fun with it. I really like just like um, thinking about like letting go because I think Mm. I often get hung up on, you know, am I making the right decision? And if I don't make that right decision, then like, yes, like I feel bad or guilty or whatever. So I think like consistently reminding myself that Mm. it's okay Mm. and that to let go Mm. and to let be Mm. um, is really helpful. Great, great. That reminds me of a story. I, I'll slip it in because I think it's important, actually, because all of us are learning in this terrain, right? And we all get caught in, I should have, I made the wrong choice, and that sucks. It, it hurts, right? So the, 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 the key there is, again, this commitment to learning and studying what that feels like. So... I went through a series of things that happened six, seven years ago where there were a few 
you could say choice. Some of them were decisions, and, and one of them was more circumstances, right, where I was really not pleased with the outcome. <laughs> and I kept kind of getting caught in this just like, ah, oh, I should have, and why did I? And each one was successively worse and more painful than the previous, okay? But I'd been practicing for like 15 years already. So I was hip to what was happening and actually like included it in my practice. So when the first thing happened, every time I got caught on that, I would practice with it. So use the four noble truths. Oh, this is suffering. How does this feel? And I would just study the phenomenon of resistance, the belief in should, and just that, that whole pattern, separate from the story of the content and what all that, and actually observe in my own body and in my heart, how does this feel? What is this like, this resistance? And really just be with it. And it was painful. But, and then when the next thing came, I was like, oh, well, this is even bigger, and there's even more resistance, and this is what this feels like. And then the third thing again, like even more. But through that process of studying it, I got to really see and feel both the suffering of, of getting believing those thoughts of it should have been and the, and the ide- identification with it was my fault and uh, the wrong decision and how to let go, how to actually let go because it's when we see the pain of holding on that the mind learns to let go. Yeah. Okay, I think we're at the end of our time. Um, I want to thank uh, uh, all of you for coming and for uh, exploring and hanging out together today. Um, I wanted to thank George for recording. And uh, thank you, George. He, he sat out some of the exercises so we could have the right number. Um, and then also the, those of you who are here uh, volunteering, Nan. and Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.